Well, good morning and happy new year. Did you realize that just recently in the United States, more people consume their television now from streaming platforms than they do from traditional cable broadcasting? And the number one show in the United States right now is a Netflix show by the name of Kaleidoscope. Now, what's not new about this show is that it's an ensemble show that has to do with a heist, a grand theft, kind of like Ocean's Eleven. However, what is different about this show is that the way that they have constructed it is that there are no order to the episodes. You can't start with one and go to episode eight. They're all listed by different colors, and they invite you to watch the show except for the heist itself at the very end, any order that you want. You need to realize that this is one of the most polarizing TV shows in the United States right now. Some people think this is amazing and so creative because people are encountering the television in different ways and in different orders and having different experiences as a result. And other people, like your preacher, think this is entirely dumb that shows were meant to be unfolding in a particular story and in a particular way. And without wading too deep into the waters of this very important controversy in social media, what I want to tell you is that when, as soon as I saw this, I started reflecting, you know, kaleidoscope is the way that most of us read our Bibles. That most of us take this book and we don't really think of it as having a particular order to it, but we read a story here and a verse here and another story here, and then we put it away. Now, there's nothing wrong with reading a prayer in any particular order from the Psalms. But the word of God was given to us not just as a story but as history in a way than a drama that it unfolds for us to be able to understand it in its context. And so last year, we spent the whole last year doing this thing called Quest, trying to give you an overview of the whole story of the Bible and that we could explore it together. And I've gotten question after question about what are we going to do this year. Well, I'll tell you what we're going to do this year is that we are going to apply that same lens of having a broad perspective, but instead of doing something where we're reading fast and trying to take it all in, we are going to go slow and deliberate through two books of the Bible, each of which constructed in its own particular order. And throughout the course of this year, we are going to be looking at the book of Matthew and the book of Romans. We're going to see the story and the significance of this thing that we proclaim and call the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so chapter by chapter, we are going to walk through these two books by the Bible throughout the whole course of this year. And the tool that we've given to you out at Christmas and is available in all the different kind of lobby areas of the church is this book right here. And this is the Gospel of Matthew, and it's given to you in a journal format. In other words, on one page, there is the text itself, and on the other page, there is a blank page. The reason that this is such an important tool for you and for me is that one of the biggest problems is that we don't really read the Bible intentionally and systematically. But the second problem that I find is that we have Bibles, but we don't interact with them. In other words, the purpose of a blank page is to demonstrate to you and to me that maybe there's a prayer that you need to write. 
Or maybe there's a note that you need to make. Or maybe there's a reflection you want to have. Or maybe you're more creative and right-brained and there's something that you want to draw. You know, for the better part of a year, as our family was anticipating our oldest going to college, I took a book of the Bible and I journaled in it for the course, better course of a year. And then having taken the reflections of that, handed it off to our oldest daughter before she went to college. So maybe you're called to do this for yourself. Maybe there's somebody you're praying for, somebody you want to invest in, somebody that you want to use this for. But the purpose of this journal is to not squeeze it into a format of everybody reads the Bible in exactly the same way. It's to give you a blank page to demonstrate that week in and week out that you and I are called to engage and interact with God's word together. And so if you didn't grab one at Christmas, we hope that you'll grab one on the way out and that you'll go on this journey of discovering the story of the gospel with us. And I'm gonna give you a little more about that as we go throughout the early weeks of this series. But let's suppose for a moment that you're the kind of person that's heard about this Jesus and, and you're excited to read the New Testament. You're like, I, I keep hearing about this guy, Jesus. He's obviously had a huge influence in society, in the world, and I'm, I'm spiritually curious about who he is. And so you're going you're gonna to find a Bible. You're going to get your hand on one, and you're going to open it up to the beginning of the New Testament. It takes you a little while to get there. You realize it's about the latter third of the book of the Bible, and then you open it up, and you get to that point where it's the beginning of the gospel. And you you kind of, you light a candle, you get a pen and some paper, and you sit down, you take a deep breath, you even ask for a little prayer, and you're going to start reading the New Testament. You're excited, right? And this is how it begins. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. And Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron. And Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Solomon, and Solomon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham. And Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. Are you tracking with me? And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, and Abiud the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eliud. And Eliud the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Mathan, and Mathan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who was called the Christ. And so all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. And you close your Bible and you blow out your candle and you never read the Bible again. <laughs> what was that? 
Why do Christians do that? Well, there's a really good reason. There's a a parable that is told about a customs official who is working at the border. And this customs official is working at the border and he sees all of the vehicles come in and it's his job to make sure that, that nothing is coming in that's supposed to come in. And there's this one guy that keeps coming through the border and always comes through with this little smile, this little smirk on his face. And this customs official's been doing this for a long time and he knows, he knows this guy's smuggling something but he can't figure it out. And so he does everything he can. That guy's coming through. Sometimes they dismantle the truck. Sometimes they've used x-ray. Sometimes they're using, uh, you know, sonar. They've tried anything, and they've never found drugs. They've never found people. They've never found anything that this guy could possibly be smuggled. They've searched him, and this guy just sits there with his little smug look on his face, and he goes through the border. Well, eventually, this customs official gets to the point where he is retiring. And it's his last day. And that guy is coming through the border again, and he turns to him and he says, listen, pal, this is my last day. I know you're smuggling stuff. I just can't figure it out. I'm not going to arrest you. I'm not going to get you in trouble. This is my last day. But I'm not going to be able to sleep at night until you tell me what you're smuggling and how you're doing it. And the guy who's crossing the border looks at him and says, trucks. (laughs) Sometimes you can look at something and see something and it should be blatantly obvious to you. And you just can't see it. What we just read is blatantly obvious to the people who would have heard it. But not to us. And so let me show you what's going on. A little bit of a Greek lesson. Let's put it up on the screen. The first word there might look a little familiar to you. It's the word biblos, which is where we get our word book or Bible from. It's really, remember, they didn't have books back then in the same way that we have there. It's really meaning the story, the story. And then the next word there, for, which gets translated as genealogy, is the word in Greek geneseos which sounds strangely familiar to the word Genesis, right? That's because that's where that word comes from. And remember how when we were reading the genealogy, that it's this person's the father of this person, the father of this person, the father of this person, the father of this person. Did you know that every time it's saying the father of, in that translation, it is the root word Genesis? In other words, Matthew begins... To claim the story of a new Genesis and then unfolds of looking at the history and it's the Genesis, 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 Genesis. In the genealogy itself, there are 40, I just counted, never seen this before, trucks staring me in the face. 40 Genesises, counting all the generations down in the genealogy. You remember that there was the 40 days and 40 nights in the ark? 
the 400 years of slavery, the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, the 400 years of silence from the prophets to the time of the Messiah. In all of that, Genesis, 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 building up what is the story of Jesus about? Blatantly obvious. It's the new Genesis. It's the new beginning. It's the new creation. And so you're picking up this book and you're like, I want to read about this Jesus. What is it all about? The thing that you have to understand, that you won't understand unless you get this right at the beginning. If you miss the order, you will miss all of this. What you see and it gets lost in all of the different from this person to this person to this person is that this is an act of new creation that is a new day dawning in Jesus Christ. And that because of this new genesis, it means a couple of things. And the first thing it means is that this story is bigger than you think. This story is way bigger than you think. When he keeps saying that this is a new creation, a new creation, uh, Matthew tethers this to, to two different people. Jesus is referred to as the son of Abraham and the son of David. Tethering this to the two promises of God. The promise to Abraham, which is that I will bless you to be a blessing to the whole earth. And then the second promise is to that of David, who will not just be an ordinary king, but that he will be establishing a kingdom in and through him for forever. So in other words, these two stories of what's being, or the story of what's tethered to these two promises through Abraham and through David that is now being fulfilled in Jesus is that this is going to be a story that is for all people and for all time. I know you might be living your life and you could just make the statement, I'm just a blank. I'm just a teacher. I'm just a worker. I'm just a stay-at-home parent. I'm just a whatever it is. And I'm here to tell you that the story of Jesus, which is an act of new creation, is the beginning of the expansion of your world, of that your story is being invited into his larger story, a story that is for everyone and for all time. And so this story is bigger than you think. Because of this new creation, this new genesis, the second thing you need to know is that this story contains merciful surprises. When you did genealogies back then, you didn't tend to list the women, you only tended to list the men. On four separate occasions in the genealogy, Matthew very intentionally brings in four different women. But these are not ordinary women. First, there's Tamar who has to pretend to be a prostitute in order to convince Judah to be able to fill the kinsman redeemer responsibility that he has. 
And then there's Rahab, who also is a woman of a questionable reputation, who helps the spies at the Battle of Jericho. There's Ruth, who experiences extraordinary personal tragedy and is willing to follow her mother-in-law with no promise of any future for herself to come and to be in a little town called Bethlehem. And then finally, there's Bathsheba. Need we even mention what she had experienced in the victimization of what she went through? Why on earth would Matthew highlight these four women? He does so because the genealogy is more of a declaration about the sovereignty of God than it is about the purity of the line. And that in each generation, God is working a new creation, a genesis, a genesis, a genesis, a genesis. Your family, your story, your history, your background may have more twists and turns and parts of it that you would not like to see the light of day. Matthew brings it out into the light of day and says, you have nothing to be ashamed of because of the merciful sovereignty of this new creation. And so because of the new Genesis, the story is more expansive and bigger than you think. The story contains merciful surprises. It also is that the story propels us forward, not backward. One of the most interesting things about the genealogy of Jesus, as Matthew portrays it here, is is that when you do a genealogy, and if you go and you look at the other genealogies that are in the Bible, they are written the other way around. Typically, what you would do if you were to say, oh, you know, I'm a descendant of so-and-so, and you were trying to trace that history, you would start with yourself and you would draw all the little lines backwards back to that famous person. That's not how Matthew does it. Did you notice that Matthew does it backwards? That Matthew starts with ancient history and moves his way forward. In other words, the importance is not so much on what happened before, but what it's crescendoing or building towards. A great cult classic film from kind of the early part of, um, of this century is, uh, is the film A Knight's Tale. I don't know if you've seen it, and I love the description of it, that it was like this, that it is a basically a rom-com version of Rocky on horses. It's basically a jousting movie with occasional romantic scenes thrown in the middle of it. But there is one part of this film that is absolutely fantastic, and it is a character that's played by Paul Bettany here. And in this character, he plays a young Geoffrey Chaucer who provides all of the introductions for this person who's trying to compete in all of the jousting competitions but wouldn't be allowed to compete because he doesn't have the right pedigree. And so the young Geoffrey Chaucer just makes up introduction stories about what this person is like so that he can compete. In one of the deleted scenes, because apparently they just let Paul Bettany go in this. They had lots of different introductions that they would do. In one of the deleted scenes, he puts it like this. 
I would list Sul Ulrich Lichtenstein's lineage if it helped serve to honor him. Most men here, it's sad but true, they look to their past to prove their worth. They look to the deeds of their fathers. Now Sul Ulrich has great ancestors, make no mistake about it. There's Sir Gerard von Richbach and Duke Guf of Saxony and Van Mich the Force of Brunswick. But these great, great men pale into insignificance next to him. I do not list them to honor him. I list him to honor them. Paul Bettany's character gets it. The way that Matthew puts together the genealogy, it's not, hey, let me list all of these ancestors in order to lift up the person of Jesus. No, it's the other way around. Here is the Messiah. Here is the one who is to come. Here is the author of new creation. The one who fashioned the universe is the very same one that gives meaning and significance and value to everything that came before it. And because of that, because of that new creation, what that means is that our stories are lived forwards and not backwards. You don't have to be stuck in your past. You don't have to be constantly looking in your rear view mirror of what you've done or who your family is in order to determine your value or your significance or your worth. No, you get to look ahead because Jesus is the promised one who goes before us. And that this Messiah is paving the way for you and I to be living in that new creation moment. Your better days are ahead of you in Christ. Because of the new creation, the story is bigger. The story contains merciful surprises. The story propels you forward. And finally, the story draws us closer to him. It draws us closer to him. Matthew chapter 1 builds in this crescendo of this genealogy. And the pinnacle moment is, behold, the virgin is with child and his name shall be Emmanuel, which means what? I know you're Presbyterians, but that was a little lame. <laughs> Emmanuel, which means God with us. Genesis, 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 God with us. You get to the end, you fast forward to Matthew chapter 28, the Great Commission. Remember, I am with you always to the end, the telos, the conclusion. Genesis, 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 I am with you. I am with you to the end. God's with you. You ever heard of the concept of having a doppelganger? That you look like somebody who's famous even though you're not? Well, I have been stopped in airports and I'd like to share with you my doppelganger. His name's Ryan Reynolds. And this is a great insult to Ryan Reynolds. And somebody in our media team has a little too much free time in their hands and decided to help to illustrate this. (laughs) 
Ryan Reynolds had an interview with David Letterman where they were talking about his childhood. And when Ryan Reynolds was 12 years old, he decided in an act of rebellion to get his ear pierced. He knew his dad was going to hate it, but he did it anyway. And he got home from school that day. Some mother from a friend had gone with him and signed the consent. That's a bold act for a mother of a friend, by the way, right there. And his older three brothers saw him, saw that he got his ear pierced. And they're like, dude, you're dead. Dad is going to kill you. And so for the next couple of hours, which felt like the longest interminable period of time for when dad was going to come home from work and he was going to have to sit down at the dinner table and face his father with his ear pierced. He was so nervous, so afraid. And so dinner time comes and he takes his head and he's sitting at the table. His father sits down at the table and looks at him starts mumbling swear words under his breath. But his dad doesn't do anything. Because in that moment, Ryan looked up and saw his three older brothers. And all three of them had gone out and gotten their ears pierced in an act of solidarity. with their brother. If you're going to kill him, you're going to have to kill all of us. All of that fame, all of that fortune, all of that success, Ryan Reynolds still gets emotional when he tells that story. Why? Because at the end of the day, the question that we all face is, are we alone? Or are we not? Is someone with us? Or not? And the promise of new creation is that you and I are invited into the most magnificent and largest story that you can think of. And a story that's filled with mercy at all of the twists and turns and that looks forward to a new day dawning in which you and I live in the reality that God is with you. You're not alone. You're not abandoned. You're not forsaken. And the new creation story is not just history, it's your story. So here's the truck that's staring at us. Genesis, 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 Genesis. And you can't understand the rest of the book of Matthew unless you have that lens. And so here's a little glimpse on the road map of like, the next 18 weeks or so that we're going to be in this. For this first part of it, Jesus gives you a new history. 
a new family, a new identity, a new calling, a new teaching, a new freedom, a new foundation, a new worth, a new authority, new responsibility, new sight, new mercies, new hearing, new food, new boundaries, new revelation, new recognition, new reconciliation. Do you want Jesus to give you new creation, new life? I do. And so let's open this book together. And let's turn these blank pages into prayers, into reminders, and let's interact with the one who created the universe to begin with, and now is promising to make even you and me new creations. Let's pray together. Our loving God and Father, Forgive us for just missing the obvious, for not seeing the new work that you are doing in the world. And so give us the ability to recognize that this story we enter into is a sacred story. It's a story of how our lives are being expanded by a new horizon of being able to see that what we're a part of in the gospel is for everyone and for all time. Lord, even in our own past, we know that there are places that we would rather cover over, and yet you tell us that it's okay because your merciful surprises are a part of life. And so help us to lean forward in faith, to know that everything that's come before is pointing us in the direction of what you are still unfolding in the world. And finally, God, help us to make sure that we know that you're with us, that you will draw us ever closer to you, And so, God, you have been our help in ages past. May you now be for us our hope for years to come. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.